It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com. Robert Peterson, welcome to the show. Welcome to Become Your Own Superhero. Laban, man, it's a pleasure to be here and have this conversation. Adding value to my life is something that you've been doing for a little while now. I'm very grateful for the uh, for how you came into my life. I can't even remember how it happened. Do you remember? Do you remember how we met? Um, oh, now you're going to make me. I should have checked put you before on the spot. I got on, on the show, but but certainly it was it was mutual connections. We you know we were connected um, through LinkedIn and and then uh, connected through a few you know mutual friends, and so just started following you know what you were doing and and said, hey, I really you know I, I'm pretty sure I had somebody on the show that said, hey, you need to you need to have a conversation with Laban, and 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 that's kind of what the podcast has had the power to do is is you make one connection and then they introduce you to another connection and, and you introduce you to another connection and, and you start meeting these wonderful people all around the world. Ken Ronchon is someone you introduced me to. And uh, the, the reason I bring this up is that you are part of this amazing community of people that I'm involved with that are, that are selfless givers, right? Selfless givers. And it's a rarity in the world today. And I think if more people were like you and like me, uh, the world would be a better place. And just off camera, we were solving all the ills of the problem, all the world's problems with uh, <laughs> a couple of very basic techniques. What's on your mind at the moment, Rob? What do you, what do you, what's the number one problem in your life that you're trying to solve right now? Uh, you know, obviously, you know, my goal in, in business is to help people believe in themselves and help people um, extract their very best similar to yourself you're you're trying to you know tap into the superhero inside each of us um and for me i guess i'm i'm starting to want to take it a step further i'm starting to want people to care more about the world about the planet about about the people around them and you and i both have been talking about you know how things have been politicized and capitalized and you know, where money talks in Washington and manipulates and controls things. Um, and, and they, they cover up things and create hate, um, in a lot of ways. And I think, you know, what? I guess I have a responsibility for, for stopping that. So add value to life, you know, really does mean that I have to care about my brothers and sisters, my fellow human beings around me. And I want to, I want to have an impact in, 
in allowing them to feel loved, allowing them to feel valued, allowing them to feel equal, right? We're, we're all human. <laughs> and it doesn't, so it doesn't matter where you're born. It doesn't matter, you know, what color your skin is that, that we all have the same value in, in the, that God created us. <laughs> right. And yet we categorize people and we put them in while they're in that neighborhood or they're in this place or they're in that place. And so we, we can say that they have less value. And, and when we do that, we, create opportunity for some of the worst atrocities in the history of humanity have happened because we've allowed leaders to tell us that one person is less valuable than another. What do you think the antidote to hate is? Well, obviously love is a huge piece, right? But, but the idea that, I mean, some of this is so generational, right? It's so sunk in that, that we've planted these seeds in people's minds, in children's minds, that that one group of human beings can be more valuable than another based on their religion, based on their ideas, based on their choices, based on all of those things. And and I, it's going to take a lot to to unwind <laughs> that idea that that one group of people is more valuable than another and has has a bigger voice because they've got the money or because they've got the the populate, you know, the right, right now, white men control and, and, and being a white man, I hate it. I, it sucks. Like I really want to name my next podcast and, and and we want to keep it PG here, but you know, the rise of, you know, who put the, who put the white guy in charge, right. (laughs) Is, is, is kind of the, the idea, but it's, it's unbelievable to me that, that we continue to go down these paths of, if we can keep people categorized, right. Keep, each group in their own little box, the boxes compete against each other and, and create this, this fight against each other instead of finding ways to say, wait, how can we be, how much, how much are we staying? How are we the same? How much is our human experience similar? Right. And, and obviously you have a different perspective because, you know, you, you were, you were born in Australia, you've been traveling the world and seeing some different things. You're, you're married to a, a woman from Russia who's experienced even more tragedy and, and different things. And so I think you're, you have an open mind to truth and an open mind to, you know, maybe, maybe these things aren't, aren't true. Right. And, and I recognize, right. The reality of somebody that's born in the Philippines is living in a different economy than somebody that's born in Thailand or somebody that's born in the United States or, or Australia. Right. But that's not just, just because they make a, a, a cost of living is different and, and the amount of money they make is different, but that doesn't take away their value, right? Their value is no different than yours or mine. And I think maybe that's the big deal is, is that, it's not about how much money you make. It's not about the decisions that you make. I mean, one of the things we do in this country is criminals are labeled as less valuable because of the choices that they've made. And, and they get, you know, we put on job applications that if you're a felon, you can't vote. If you're a felon, you can't, you, some of your rights have been taken away. And then if you're a felon, it eliminates you from a lot of job opportunities. And, and the truth is, if they've gotten out of jail, they've paid the price that they that the court right that the the system said they had to pay, and and yet they'll continue to pay that price, you know. And I recognize that some consequences continue with us, 
But the truth is, each of us can change. You and I both know that we can change. You and I have both changed dramatically in our lives and become better men and better servants and 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 better, you know, applicants in 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 applying ourselves to the world, right, and adding value to the world. And so, I absolutely believe that criminals can change. But our culture has come to this conclusion that well, no, they can't change, and they're always going to be bad. But yet we let them out of jail, and then we expect them to be, you know productive in, in society, but but underneath all that, we've laid this belief that they can't change. And so the idea that people can't change and can't, can, can't add value undermines everything about their future possibilities. Instead, we should be saying, no, you can change and you can do great things. And, 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 and you and I both know the power of that mindset, the power that, that would you know, help them tap into their superpower. And all the choices they've made in their past are irrelevant to the choices that they can make tomorrow, that they can make right now. And, and you and I both know that, that great things could come from inside of somebody if they believe they're valuable. And I think we need to start helping people believe and feel more valuable. You know what? I reckon the first thing you can do, Al, I'm going to challenge you on this because you just said something at the very start of this that I, I disagree with. And, and this diminishing of like being ashamed of your who you are as a person. I, I don't understand why that's even necessary because you're right. I have, I have traveled a, a lot around the world. I have, uh, have I still got you there, Rob? It's just, it's a bit glitchy there. You, you, you still got me? It's either the internet mucked out there. I've been I've been to I think about twenty odd countries around the world, and I've been deliberately to countries that are known for being bad. Mexico, or live in Mexico now. I've been to Colombia, been to Peru. I've been to Cuba. I've been to China. I've been to India, uh, and and a few other countries in Europe. But like, there's a few countries in there that people that have never been to, uh, like. Why would you go to Colombia? Like you're going to get carjacked and stuff. I've never had a single issue. Never had a single issue with any of these these trips. I've got friends that are all races and creeds. And the moment that you start focusing on being ashamed of who put all the white guys in power, yes, there's some idiots in power that are white males, there's some fucking retards in power that are of different persuasions as well. And, and I, I don't see what, what the relevance is if you're trying to bring people together. Because the moment we start diminishing our own greatness, it's like being ashamed. I'm not ashamed of who I am, what color I am. Because to me, to me, like, and, and I come across this in the coaching community as well. And it's, there's no judgment, it's just an observation. Uh, in particular, African-American people that I know that only focus on African-American community. So they are excluding any other race and the people that they work with. And I find that so interesting because technically that's racist, right? Wouldn't you want, as you're saying, wouldn't you want everyone, like a rising tide lifts all boats, right? And, and, and I think what you're sharing there to some extent is just the result of just incessant brainwashing from what's put out in the media. Because my experience of being at certain places in the world when shit goes down versus what goes on the news, very different. 
and the older I get, the more experiences I have. And I'm like, that didn't happen, especially when we were in Melbourne in Australia last year with all the protests and all the all the stuff. The media is, have you ever heard of Project Mockingbird? No. So for people that are curious to know, look it up afterwards. Project Mockingbird is uh, was infiltrated by the FBI at uh, some point in the 1900s to change the outcome of people by planting FBI people in positions of media. And it's stuck. Like, and this is this is Freedom of Information Act. It's out there. They were in there to persuade and shift the, you know, the outcome using FBI agents. It's insanity. Like, and as that's what I was saying off camera. Like, if people knew the truth, all I my pursuit of life is this, Rob. I just want to know the truth so I can make an informed decision. If people knew how much bullshit they're being fed right now when it comes to all kinds of stuff, and I'm not saying bad shit doesn't happen because it does. There's some real nefarious stuff going on in the background. But if people knew the truth, then they could make an informed decision. What do you think about that? Well, absolutely. And, and the challenge is, is because there's so much misinformation and there's so much information put out by companies that have money to put out information, right? And and, and I agree with you. I've been, I've been to, I lived in Colombia for 10 years and, and I understand, you know, the beauty of the country and the beauty of their their politics in comparison to the, the countries all around them that have nefarious things happening and leaders that are making decisions both on Venezuela and in Ecuador that, that are not, in, you know, not congruent with really taking care of people and really elevating, you know, elevating their people. You know, I've been to Equatorial Guinea in, in Africa where, where the government is so scared of that, that, if people are heard talking negatively about the government on the street, it's a crime. <laughs> and, and so of course the truth is suppressed and, and, and people are lied to. And I've seen obviously the power of lying to people and propaganda and all of us know, you know, propaganda machines are, are incredibly powerful, right? My wife and I just toured the, the Holocaust museum in Washington, DC and, and the propaganda was is so powerful. I mean, you know, Hitler's Hitler's propaganda machine convinced his entire country of incredibly smart people that it was this was okay that what they were doing was right, and 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 anybody looking from the outside in would now can obviously say, wow, that was a really terrible thing, and yet these same terrible things are happening all around the world with the same kind of leaders putting out propaganda and saying. <laughs> We think this is true. And and so I agree with you. Truth, truth, it needs to be released. Truth needs to be discovered. Truth needs to be exposed. And and I think the challenge is, you know, we have so many voices. And 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 so digging into, you know, how do you how do you help people? Right. So I, I've quit watching the news. You know, I've quit putting that influence into my head because I can't, it's not trustworthy. And it and it's so sensationalized, right? It's it's focused. We love the drama. We love the negative. That's what that's what sells. And so that's what the news puts out there. So the news puts out the negative, shows us all the terrible things happening in the world, and just repeats these terrible things over and over again. And we've got so much. Our brain hasn't evolved. You talked about the brain not evolving to handle the body, not evolving to handle all this food and, and poisons and, you know, um, processed you know processed foods the way that 
we've been, you know, fed all these processed foods in this, this whole economy of, you know, food creation and medicine creation. We won't even, is another one, right? We're creating all these medicines. Um, you and I both agree that we don't have a healthcare system. We have a, a disease care system and the disease care system focuses on what's the aspirin, right? What's the pill I can give you to, to make your problems go away. And we created an expectation where people want if I can just take a pill and make it go away, if I can take a pill and lose 20 pounds, if I can make a pill and feel better, if I can make a pill and make the depression go away instead of, wow, I've got this depression issue, right? Mental health issue going on. What can I do to change it? Well, maybe you can you know, be more active. Maybe you can you know, recognize the, the connection between your body and your brain and, and your feelings and your thoughts and how important all of those things are to to how you feel right and i think we've got a whole bunch of people running around this country that are sad and now they're just sad taking a pill that makes them less sad right and so i yeah you and i are are are, are coming from a similar place when it comes to why is convenience convenience and to, you know, I, I think convenience has become, you know, more important than almost anything in, in our culture. And I think um, quick remedies, right? We want the microwave solution. We want the, the two-day delivery. We, we want the quick fix rather than the long-term gain. And I think our, many people are willing to sacrifice today for tomorrow, because they think tomorrow is not coming. They think the consequences, right? We do stupid stuff. We, 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 you know, we eat stuff we know isn't good for us. We, we take drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, you know, and other drugs now that we know are not good for us. And we think, oh, that won't happen to me, right? We know that, you know, there's no, not much gain from smoking, <laughs> Right. And there obviously are drugs involved in it that make your body feel a little bit better. Tempor very the, temporarily, by the way. <laughs> exactly. Short term, short term, quick gain for long term consequences of terrible health of, you know, there is nothing good in alcohol. And yet alcohol is, is a super popular. It has no benefit for your mind. It has no benefit for, for your body. It's poison. Right. And it's just one other poison that we're we're convinced makes us feel better. And really it's just covering up whatever emotion or <laughs> feeling or, and yet it's, you know, it's been normalized in our culture, right? We go out to dinner and you get a wine or you get a, you know, a beer or, you know, you sit on the back porch and you have a beer, you know, especially now in the summertime. I mean, look at, look at all of the ways that, that we're getting these quick emotion fixes that have long-term consequences for our, our health and, and wellness, you know, down the road, but everybody's saying it won't happen to me. It won't happen today. <laughs> and then pretty soon you're, you know, looking at your life and looking back going, Ooh, man, it caught up with me, but I'm, you know, now I'm just stuck having this beer and, and, and meat and <laughs> all of these things that, 
that just meat. Really don't you bring meat up. into this, Rob? Meat's very good for us. Meat is the one damn thing that humans aren't eating enough of at the moment. <laughs> I I love meat, so I'm with you. <laughs> right, but you can. So this is interesting, though, right? And I'm not not picking on you, but like you have been on the receiving end of so much propaganda around meat that you that you bought into the conversation, right? Whether you believe it or not, and and this is what's so dangerous. I, I, for those who haven't heard my story, used a only meat diet for nearly three years. There was periods there where I was cycling a little bit of carbohydrate here and there to heal an incurable autoimmune disease that 20 medical experts with 200 plus years of education combined all told me it was incurable. Doctors to me now, GPs, Rob, are lower than scum. And, and I know there's still some good ones out there. I go there very reluctantly, reluctantly and I tell them what to do. If my bone is, is protruded out my shin, yes, absolutely. <laughs> They're very good at fixing that stuff. But they have trauma, they, trauma care is different than healthcare for sure. Right? Absolutely. And it's not it's not their fault. It's the indoctrination that they get at college that that they are taught not to question anything, right? And this is what's happened. This is what's happened, not just in these fields, like nutritionists to get fully qualified to be able to continue to practice have to promote heart-healthy grains. Now, let me explain something to you, dear listener, all right? Human, humans have not been eating grains for very long. They are slave food. If you think they're good for you, you've got another thing coming, all right? 10% of the global carbon emissions that come out come from the healthcare industry or the sick care industry, right? So if you're so worried about reducing your carbon footprint, which is the biggest load of bullshit ever, right? Stop stop taking your prescription medication, stop going to the doctor and stop getting unnecessary surgeries. 10%. Like if you really want to improve the, the planet, Greta, like this is the shit that no one talks about. And this is what's really, it's getting to the point, Rob, where I'm, I'm, and I had a conversation with a guy yesterday, uh, Robert Scott Bell, who's a very successful uh, podcast host, and, and he's got his own radio show. If you know, if you know, I don't know if you don't know the guy. And and I have thoughts where I'm like, you know what? Just fucking die, just die, or get injured. You know, suffer the consequences because it's the only time that you'll ever do something about it. Jordan Peterson talks about having like the demon that we need to control in us. Right? Does any of this resonate with you at all, Rob? <laughs> Well, I mean, obviously we've talked about, it goes all the way back a hundred years. James Allen talks about, you know, if you think about disease, you get disease, right? If, if you think about illness, you get illness and, and we've created an entire industry, an entire focused on the illness, focused on the sickness, focused on how do we make people feel better? And, and, we focus on people. I mean, and so I understand why these depression meds and mental health meds have become such a, a thing in the last 30 years, because our expectation is very much like aspirin. And so when you have a headache, you take an aspirin, you expect the pain to go away. Right. And so when you have an off feeling, right, you're feeling off, you go to the doctor and the doctor wants to fix it. So the doctor turns to his pharmaceutical buddy and say, Hey, my patient's feeling off. Like, what does that even mean? Right. My patient's feeling sad and, and they want some help. And, and if you're listening to this and you're on antidepressants and and you have had these mental health issues, please don't 
don't take this as expertise and and as like st- stop taking your meds. I don't, want yeah, you- don't just stop cold turkey because there's a right. whole other episode we talk about. about you create a, you're you're going to create other issues. But I but I, I want you to 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 question what is this medication doing to my body? What why what is this medication replacing? What is this medication stopping? What is this medication right? Because our body gives us signals. Our body naturally gives us signals, and those signals mean something. Right. And so we've been told to shut off our emotions and, and try to that feeling sad is bad. Right. And, and and that instead of saying, hey, I feel sad, what's happening? We just want the sad to go away rather than change our lifestyle to make the sad go away. And, and I think so many people feel like they don't have a choice, that, that feeling sad is just where they're stuck. And the truth is, you have a choice. You're sad because of the thoughts that you're thinking. You're sad because of the situations that you've been in. You're sad because of all the stuff that's happened to you in your life. And, and many of that you might not have any control over, like, like the things that, that your wife have gone through. She didn't have any control over that. She was abused. She was, she was violated. She was assaulted. And, and she had no control over those things. But you know what she has control over? The story she tells herself about those things. And and it's easy to be the victim. It's easy to say, woe is me. The world is world's against me. But that leaves you powerless. And to tap into your power, you have to say, no, more. I'm no longer going to be a victim. I'm no longer going to give those assaulters the power in my life and, and the control in my life. And the same with politics. I'm no, no longer going to give those politicians power and control in my life. It's my and doctors too. I'm not going to give doctors control and power in my life. And so why would I go to a doctor and say, you know, I'm sad. I want you to fix this. So of course the doctors in this this industry, this this billions, billions of dollar industry is is trying to help people feel better. But they're focused on the sickness part rather than the health part. Because if they were focused on health, they'd be focused on what are we eating? What are we exercising? What are we doing? And that's such a tiny little part of their little magic, right? And you're right. The system the system continues to, to focus on this and the doctors are trained and focused on this. And so it's, you know, historically, you can see the direction that it's taken and why, why it's done what it's done and, and why our mental health industry now is is just completely trashed right because we don't have anyone focused on how to help people change their lifestyle <laughs> to get the feelings that they want to have and and that's really what what's necessary yeah i, I couldn't agree more Alan. i think uh you can if you're listening or watching this now you can probably feel some emotion raw emotion coming through from both Elle and I. And I think it's because we are on a similar path of the reason we do, certainly I don't want to speak on behalf of you, Rob, but like I, I do this because I don't want to see people suffer like I did. And and there's a balance of giving unrequited help, which I learned the lesson with that, you know, many times and have gotten way better at, at you know, trying to offer help to people that don't want it. And, and I think people need to experience enough pain in order to do something about it, right? And, and I feel, you know, I interviewed a guy, Dr. James Mukey, who was, uh, was the Australian of the Year in 2020, right? Very prestigious 
Award. And he's a retired uh, ophthalmologist, like eye surgeon. He's kind of like Fred Hollows. He's done a bunch of work and sort of impoverished nations, bringing back sight to people and just a, a great dude, right? His big thing is sugar, like keep, keeping companies accountable of sugar and stuff. And uh, and he was telling me some numbers, like the projected, this was in 2020, like just as COVID hit, the pro- before, so before COVID numbers were this, the projected percentage of GDP that was going to be required in the UK, Canada, Australia, and the United States of America in the year 2038, the percentage of GDP required to look after type 2, type two diabetes only, right? How much do you reckon it was as a percentage? Uh, it, astronomical. 100%. 100% of GDP, right? And, and, and what most people won't have any clue about is that type 2 diabetes and in some cases type 1, which is an autoimmune response, is able to be put into remission through dietary intervention. Well, type 2 for sure. Yeah, right? absolutely. And, and there's, there is a couple of organizations, uh, Paleo Medicina in, in Budapest in Hungary, that have documented cases of type 1 diabetes that they've put into full remission by doing these very rigorous autoimmune. And there's more and more data coming out, right? And because if you if, if all of these countries spend all their money on type 2 diabetes, civil, the civilization collapses, right? And so something has to be done. So if that's one, if that's one area of health, and then you've got the mental health, and then you've got cancers and heart disease and, and like all the other things, like the money's going to run out very, very quickly. So my question to you, Rob, is this. What's your silver bullet solution for this? If you could wave a magic wand or I know you're a man of faith, you could pray a prayer to God that would guaranteed be answered to, to solve all of these problems, what's the, what's the prayer that you would pray? that more people would take responsibility for their lives. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Why, I mean, why that's, is that important? That's the, that's the bottom line, right? The problem is we trust, we trust somebody else with all of this stuff. I trust, I trust the food industry that, Oh, they want to feed me and make me better. <laughs> I trust the, I trust the, the doctor. Oh, he wants to give me medicine to make me feel better. I trust the, and, and, Instead of taking responsibility and saying, I'm willing to make the life change to have the life that I want. And whether that's financial or, but, but really it's got to be holistic, right? I need my mind. I need my body. I need those things to be able to accomplish and make an impact in the world. And so if I'm, if I'm serious about that, then I need to make choices that allow me to have the best mind possible, that allow me to have the best body possible, that allow me to have the best business possible, that allow me to have the best impact in the world. And if everybody starts doing that and saying, if I'm responsible, then I want to know why. I want to know what's going on, right? Now, like you, my wife had a had a terrible medical disaster last year, and I praise the medical system that saved her life because she would be dead without it. That it without that intervention, that that in her case was the equivalent of a bone sticking out of her leg, but had to do with her her 
you know, her aorta, her tubing from her heart to the rest of her body ruptured and split and, and was not working properly. And without a, you know, without a surgical intervention that takes away her life. And, and so the medical system is definitely necessary for those traumas, for those kinds of events that, that happen. But I agree with you that, that, and, and it, for me, it's not a conspiracy theory. It's, it's, it's just human nature, the way that things have, have evolved. And, and, and there's not this, there's not this, and there may be nefarious people in there that are plotting and, and doing things, but I think it's just the nature of, of humanity wanting quick solutions and wanting, and the, the systems have just followed the, the, the path of least resistance. <laughs> and, and so, but that doesn't make it right. Right. And so, now it's time to 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 step up and take responsibility. But even those of us in personal development space recognize that that less than ten percent of people are going to take responsibility, and less than two percent are going to take responsibility at the level necessary to get the outcomes that they want, because we want the easy solution and and convenience trumps. Just watch how people function, and convenience trumps because we're lazy. Our brains are lazy. We're we're ultimately lazy people. And, and so it's really hard to sit here and you and I both know like truth, helping people find the truth. But guess what? If you want the truth, you've got to look for it. And that requires effort. And so people are just, it's easier just to trust and it's easier just to go with the flow. It's easier just to, to, you know, eat the food they give us. It's easier to, you know, take the medicine that they give us. It's easier to take the quick solution because it's convenient. And so, yeah, the reality of people really wanting to take responsibility and really wanting to step up and own their lives, there's, there's, it's a small crowd, it's a small group, and I'm going to lean into that small group because I, I, the more we, the more we show results, the more we show results like your life, the more we show results like Anya's life, the, the more we put people out there that say, look, you get to choose. My sister did the same thing. She had a brain tumor, and and. She was, she was told she was going to die. There was no other option. <laughs> like nothing was going to happen. And, and she changed her diet, changed her sleep. And they got her an appointment to Johns Hopkins University because the doctor said it's impossible. But she documented it. Like if I do these things, it changes. Well, that's impossible. It's impossible. They had no explanation. Well, now the tumor has gone. They have even less explanation. Because <laughs> that, yeah, that their really tools didn't, didn't work. <laughs> You know, and and now twenty years, twenty years later, after she was told she was going to die, and it's actually thirteen. Sorry, thirteen years later, after she was told she was going to die, she's still alive, and there's still consequences in her life. But but she's controlled it with her own diet and her own sleep and her own exercise, and and living a different lifestyle. But those so, are harder. That's so harder. There's there's, a, there's um, and we're super grateful for the for the medical system that exists to be able to repair that. Here's a question that came to me as you were sharing that story about your wife, right? And I know that you're stoked that she's around. I'm stoked that she's around. My question is this. If if uh, the truth had been available from the get-go, from, from when she was born, and I'm talking about not just in the medical field but, like, with diet and stress management and, you know, nutrition and all the other stuff, would she have even ended up in that position of having a, uh, a stroke or a brain aneurysm, like but, yeah. So my wife was an aortic dissection, and they have no idea. 
why okay. there was no, so, she had no pre-existing conditions to, to that led to that. She was in good health. I, I can still ask that question though, right? Absolutely. Like it's, it's, Absolutely. And, and so, and so I think that's an interesting, um, it's an interesting, I've never really thought about it in that manner. And uh, the other thing I was going to say, like people, when you talk about, when I talk about an agenda or this nefarious thing, I, I, there is, there is absolutely uh, an agenda at play. And here's how I think it operates. So the people doing it believe what they're doing is right. Well, so did Adolf Hitler. Right. Like this, this is what I mean. Like he, if you'd asked him, he, like, I know he was off his head. Incidentally, uh, Adolf Hitler was a vegetarian and um, maybe that had something to do with it, but he was also on a massive concoction of uh, speed and a number of other drugs. I'm learning quite a lot about uh, Hitler and, and to un- try and understand what was going through his head. Right. I think he was completely imbalanced. Um, combined with his negative experience with Jewish people and yada, 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 right? But these people that are, that are committed, like uh, Chairman Mao, like Stalin, uh, Pol Pot, it, these jokers all think that they're doing the right thing. They're, they're not, they don't think that they're doing anything deliberate. And I think that's where this comes from. It's all well-intended, Right. If we don't depopulate the planet, then we're not going to have any money to pay for healthcare or type two diabetes anyway. Like I'm just speculating some of this stuff, but like, so how do, how do we? And I'm asking this question on the fly. I don't know the answer. How do we? How do we flip that around and allow these people to look at humans as humans and not fucking bugs or numbers? Well, and that's the that's the power and control challenge, right? I mean, it's the same in a in a marriage if. If, if you go into your marriage with the idea of I'm in power and I'm in control versus we're partners in this together. And I think our political system has to shift. Like even some of the best politicians have basically said, you know, democracy is the worst form of government, but it's the best form we have available. Right. And, and, and so the reality of, of, of government is it needs to evolve and and it needs to evolve in a way that that allows people to to be more responsible for themselves and and I think the challenge is especially since it, it was interesting to look at the United States reaction to the Holocaust and to what was going on and of course propaganda and information but the majority of Americans were like well I, we 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 just got out of a war We've just experienced the worst economic depression in the history. And so we're scared. We're, we're fear. Fear drives so much of this. And fear, you and I both know how much fear drove the response to COVID. And, 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 and you know, there are nefarious people that were using fear to, to take, take controls and using fear to, you know, force people to do things that they normally wouldn't do. Um, so fear is a huge driver. And, and I think... I think one of our challenges is, is is when you take control of your life and you take responsibility for your life that that fear no longer becomes a driver. And and so helping people shift from from fear to control, right? But but our government is still this power and control and people get into power positions and they abuse it and they and they take advantage of people and they they do things that that seem right 
on the surface, but it's right for what? Is it right because they're going to get more power or is it right because they want to take take care of more people? And and there's always going to be nefarious characters in the midst of, of, of that power. And I think the people, when the people recognize how much power they really have, not just in the vote, but in their voice and, and, and in the way they treat other people, I think that's where we can make the make the biggest difference. When people have different expectations of their politicians, their politicians have to face different expectations. The problem is it's the same, it's the same. You got to get involved. You gotta you gotta raise your awareness. You gotta look for the truth. And and that requires effort. And I think ultimately a lot of people don't want to take the effort. Well, that you only need uh you know, you know about David Hawkins, uh, his list, right? Yeah. And and you only need a small number of people that have reached. Uh, not, I don't think it has to be enlightenment, which is the top one. There's like joy. I forget. I need to look at the list again. But you only need for every one of those people, it it counteracts like a quarter of a million or two hundred fifty million people. So we, we we need just we don't need the whole world to change. We just need a small number of people to to focus on rising to that level of ascension. And enlightenment is the the ultimate bliss point in terms of uh, acceptance. And, and I would I would call enlightenment unconditional love. It's and what it is, right? Love yeah. is, unconditional love is where we where we started, right? With the value of every human being, everybody has that same value. Unconditional love is that we we give. <laughs> unconditionally not based on you know race creed performance blah blah any of the any of these categories we've set people in that we give do you, and we love do you know anyone that that do you physically have you met someone who is is at that level of enlightenment that, it, that describes exactly what you're saying there Rob? uh you know i i know people that are right uh, that are you know i think that are at who, that edge who? right I mean, I would say somebody like John Maxwell. I think somebody, you know, I think that there's influencers that are um, that that are super positive, super that they're they're influencing people at at, a, at that level, right? Yeah. And and I guess you know they're still human, so I guess you know does unconditional love only happen in the supernatural? <laughs> This is what I'm curious to know because I think you know at what point what does what does unconditional love look like because if someone comes into my home and I practice unconditional love and is there to attack me or to steal from me it is part of that unconditional love fighting back I, I like I would argue that it is you know I would argue that someone who practices unconditional love is one of the most ferocious fighters on the planet and does not take bullshit from anyone as much of a um, an oxymoron as it sounds. What are your thoughts on that? We're getting real deep, by the way. Yeah, well, obviously, I think, yeah, we you have to take violent action to, to protect love. It, you know, and, and, of course, I believe discipline was an act of love as a parent. To, to have undisciplined kids is... Is not that's the opposite of love, right? And and I think you know so 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 discipline is is necessary, you know. And I I suppose now you think 
you think of somebody like Mother Teresa or the Dalai Lama or some of these Gandhi. Um, I mean, I think, you know, even Martin Luther King, you know, was the type that was trying to elevate humanity and not just his his own race, right? He was he was trying to say, look, this is this is how it's supposed to to look and to be. And and he did it, you know, he chose nonviolent Malcolm X, you know, chose violent uprising. And and do we need a combination? Yeah. <laughs> to, to, you know, to influence the world, right? And Mother Teresa was a one of the best uh, fundraisers for money ever, apparently. Like she was a not like, ruthless is a bad word to describe it, but she was like unbelievable at getting getting money for the organization to help all those people. Um, it's an interesting question, Robin. It's something well, that's that influence, right? I mean, that's influence and, and using your influence for, you know, obviously in her influence was for others. And I think that's the challenge for all of us is that selfish, <laughs> that selfish what's in it for me piece fighting against how can I serve others and give and give first. Yeah. And, 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 and I think every human wrestles with that. And, and I think, I mean, that's where this, this whole scarcity abundance mindset wrestles, right. And the world is living in a space of scarcity. It's living in a space of, of there's not enough resources. There's not enough, you know, to love to go around, you know, it, 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 example I share, you know, my daughter was telling her grandson, you know, well, go give grandpa a hug. Well, if you don't give it, or if you don't take his hug, I'll go get it. And like, like I only had that one hug to give, but of course I have an abundance of hugs. I will hug my grandson as many times as he, you know, he, he, he won't take all my hugs away. It's just impossible. Right. And I think that's how love should be. And, and, and yet we 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 experience love in a in a limitation mindset, and and so we feel like you know we only have so much love to give. But I think people have experienced so much hate and frustration and fear. Fear fear takes up space, and that's what we need to. St- truth, I think you you talked about truth, and I talk about love, and I think those two things are really the same and and when we when we come from a place of of love we can we can expose truth without fear and 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 i think people obviously politicians obviously corporations obviously a lot of these things that have tons of those resources use fear to control people to manipulate people to to get people to do things that they want them to do for their benefit rather than like you and I both would like to be in a space where, where we want to help people do what's in their own best interest. Does that love uh, that you're talking about, the unconditional love, does that flow into, let's hypothesize for a minute and say that I was president of the United States of America. I realize the logistics around that at the moment are quite challenging given I wasn't born there, but let's just say it's possible. If I knew that being in that role did not involve me having my family compromised where I had to tow the party line or some agenda, what I've been told by a few people might be the case. Once you get into power, they're like, welcome, you're president, but here's what you're going to do, right? And you can kind of see that with the current um, administration. I, I think I'd do really good because I've got a history of telling the truth. 
right? I wrote a book, Bet On You, which you've read, and I'm grateful for your amazing uh, testimonial. And I, there's stuff in there that people have said to me, man, I don't know how you put, I don't know how you shared that with the world. It's because I don't care. Like, I don't give a fuck what people think of me anymore. Like, not, not to that extent. I mean, you, uh, your, your amazing book, what's, what's the name of your book, Rob? The Entrepreneur Mindset Shift. Just came out just a couple of months ago or a month or so ago. Congratulations again, by the way. Like, what's, what's been the feedback from your, because you've shared lots of your amazing story. We haven't really spoken about you a lot today. <laughs> to that but, like, you, you, you bear a lot of your life in there as well. What's been the feedback from people with regards to the truth? I mean, people identify with it. They've all they've all experienced, you know, failure. They've all experienced, you know, feeling like crap. They've they've all experienced these these the voice in their head. For me, it's the voice in your head, right? And and you know, for my entire life, I thought the voice was mine. It was me telling me blah blah blah. But but I really think the voice is the enemy, and and the voice isn't on my and and I get to choose whether I listen to the voice or not, and. I get to choose how I program the voice, which is really where the power comes. That's the superpower. What is your story, Rob? For those who don't know, who haven't come across you before, give us a, uh, a brief overview of your tumultuous life. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, to be honest, I've, I haven't had it too bad. I, I grew up in Colorado and, you know, was pretty normal kid. Uh, Eagle Scout had positive experiences um spent four years in the marine corps you know so got to visit the world um which was a pretty cool opportunity including a couple weeks in in the beautiful australia um and so um but i think that exposure to the world exposed some of the i don't know negatives of you know obviously I got, I married my high school sweetheart. I divorced my high school sweetheart when I was deployed. Um, and, you know, was an alcoholic when I got out of the Marines because alcohol was, you know, the easy thing to, to get involved with when you're traveling the world, there's alcohol and prostitutes. And somehow I didn't get involved in prostitutes. So <laughs> don't know how I, I definitely was tempted and, and definitely if I'd had enough money, I probably would have cross that line um but i you know i was chasing i was chasing money i was chasing money after i got out of the marine corps you know that had some opportunities and then you know i my god god grabbed me god reached out and said no you need to do something else and we my wife and i moved back to colorado my current wife who i've now been with for 30 years um and I got involved with her family's church and God pretty much directed me into ministry. And so we became missionaries and served in South America for, for 10 years, lived in Bogota, Colombia. Um, and, and part of why I chose Bogota, God chose it, God pointed it, but, but it was that piece in me that no one else will go there. So I should go there. Right. <laughs> Other people wouldn't choose it. Right. So especially, I to go- especially during that time, what, what was this in the nineties? Yeah, uh, 2000. We moved there in 2000. Yeah. We made the decision in 98. So we visited the first time in, in 98. Like it's uh, the cocaine hotspot of the world at that point, right? Yeah, it's still pretty. Yeah. it And it was, you know, the FARC was still, you know, fairly active. We'd seen lots of, you know, 
negative impact kidnappings, kidnapping kids were, were all pretty prevalent, but, but the government was shifting and the Bush administration, the United States and, and the administration in, in Colombia had very good, um, they were working together very well and, and moving this. So what's interesting is even though Colombia has had this ongoing rebellion, this ongoing civil war, right? This group trying to take over and, and run the country. It's actually the most democratic country in South America and had the, has the longest running um, successful constitution. If you're familiar with South America overall, from Central America on down, they constantly are shifting their constitutions. They go from democracy to dictator pretty easily. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we've seen the results of that in Venezuela and now Ecuador and, and the influence of communism and socialism. And, and, and the idea of, of socialism on one hand is, is incredible, but the reality of it playing out without a market to support it and and capitalism to you know to create right well, human beings were designed to create and and in in a socialistic um, government model there's no motivation to create there's only enslavement right yeah so the government enslaves everybody and says oh we're taking really good care of you and 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 it, it people like to be taken care of ultimately and so they buy into it. And then, of course, they all realize, wait, we're all slaves to this <laughs> propaganda machine that that's but but it's taking care of us. <laughs> people, people are so interesting. I mean, I, I uh, we live in Mexico. We've become friends with a few people from Venezuela uh, who moved here uh, like 10, 20 years ago. And they, they all talk about like it's with forlorn they talk about how wonderful venezuela used to be as it's just a natural beauty it's like the weather the climate's amazing and and if there's a great test case for this socialistic thing i mean look at north and south korea where would you rather live <laughs> and this is this is what this is what a lot of people uh, are hoping is going to happen in the western world and like what's going on in australia and canada at the moment like canada is on the precipice right now as we record this in July 2022, of becoming exactly that. And I, I remember I was in Vancouver in 2005, Rob, and I was there for a work incentive trip. We were up and um, we flew into Vancouver and we were going to go spend a couple of days at Whistler Blackcomb. And I got ejected out of the casino in the city for using the Lord's name in vain. I'm not joking, for blaspheming, saying Jesus Christ. And, and I remember thinking, man, that's really like highly strung. Isn't that weird? And then look at what sort of followed forth since then. Like, Did you say out of a casino? I got, I got ejected out of the casino in the city. I presume so it's still there. Just checking because so so saying Jesus Christ in the casino wasn't was bad, but gambling is apparently bad. Yeah, okay. I was I was gambling and and I was and I lost a few hands and I was like, oh Jesus Christ. And they're like, sir, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to leave if you keep up that language. And I just and I was, you know, belligerently drunk, but it, that wasn't the reason why I got they told me it was because of my blasphemy, which I thought was hilarious. Um and uh it's gonna be interesting to see what happens. Uh and I, what I hope is that the people rise up because the, the, what we need, and you sort of touched on it earlier, Rob, we need uh, people to take back control of government. We need people to do more localised farming. Like, we need to take back control of our health. You know, one of the most famous dentists 
that did amazing studies, Weston A. Price. Look him up. He's dead now. But at the turn of the 1900s, he took him and his family around all of the indigenous tribes around the planet, the Alaskan Inuit tribes in Switzerland, Aboriginals in Australia, New Zealand Maori tribes in Papua New Guinea, the Maasai warriors in Africa and in uh, Kenya, Nairobi, I think. And uh, and they was he was studying their teeth for caries and, and cavities and malocclusion. And, they, and all of these tribes, which were mainly animal-based diets, all had really great teeth, very low instances of, uh, of cavities or caries. They had, but so that's interesting. They also lived really long lives if they didn't die at, at birth. But they also, more fascinating uh, from, from my end, they didn't have any requirement for police or jails. There was there was um, tribal fighting uh, with other tribes, as has been going on forever, but they didn't have any crime. Like the instances of crime were way down and they were in this community. They were all, you know, the baby would be born and then the, the baby would be raised by the whole tribe. And I think, you know, people talk about, you know, the population explosion, whatever. That's what we need to revert back to. It's what we need to, that's in my opinion, right? Take back control, you know, tribal justice or whatever you want to do. But I think that's probably a better solution than what's available right now. Mm. It's definitely interesting. Like, no no doubt. And I've visited some of those tribes and and some of those people. And, and you know, obviously incredible. Which ones? Which ones? That it, like the Maasai warriors, you mean? I have. I've visited Maasai both in Tanzania and Kenya. Okay, cool. So that, so you've first-hand experience. Now, I know that they would have been exposed to the Western uh, world, but was there any of them that you're able to talk to? Oh, absolutely. And and so the one of the interesting, obviously, they're still living out in the middle of the <laughs> high desert in, in Africa. I mean, the savanna. So it's, it's not as lush and green as obviously the southern, you know, or the Nile, the Nile Valley like Uganda. Um, but they're out in mud, you know, mud huts. They still raise goats and cows. They're still cattlemen. Um, you know, it's interesting. John Wayne made a movie, <laughs> it, you know, it, it, and was among the Maasai and, and they're, they're cattlemen. They're, they're, they raise cows and goats and they eat cows and goats. Like you said, they're meat. Drink the, drink the blood with the milk, right? <laughs> yeah. And they, yeah, they, yeah, that was the, that was the hard one is they drink milk. <laughs> That's you know not refrigerated and not not uh, it's chunky. <laughs> but it, it's it halfway to cottage to cheese. Yeah, it doesn't because because raw dairy is has a really long shelf life, and maybe what they do is they just kind of turn it into a kefir or like a yogurt kind of thing to make it last longer, right? Well, it just it's yeah, it's just not refrigerated, right? So they milk the cow and then they'll still use the milk. Where we would say the milk is bad. But really, it's shifting from you know into the solid. The solids are separating, and there's nothing. There's nothing bad for your body in that. We eat it all the time. We sell it. The, the dairy company sells it. It's called cottage cheese. It's yeah, the curds in the way. But there's nothing. Uh, it's not like it's rotting. It's just transforming from you know milk to solid, and so there's nothing nothing bad in that. But for for a Westerner who drinks cold milk. To have milk that's been sitting warm and turning into chunks is very challenging. 
<laughs> we, we just need to get you hungry enough, right? You need, it, need to do a 10-day fast and then we'll get you in there. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And it, you know, so it's just, it's very different. Um, but, but you're right. Their diet doesn't consist of grains. Grains are harder. Grains are harder to grow. They're harder to, they're harder to work the land. They're harder to, these people walk, walk miles to get water and bring water back. So, so the, the, the woman's role, the wife's role in the family is to get up in the morning, they start a fire and then they go get water and then they bring the water back and they boil the water and, and their life, you know, revolves around you know, the getting water and the bringing water back and, and they have to do that, you know? And so obviously, you know, one of the Western solution is let's bring in water, let's drill wells, let's, you know, provide water for the communities. Um, and, and then of course, education. <laughs> so we want to bring in water and we want to bring in education. Um, and, and I, you know, the, 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 those elements of their culture are now being pulled into the city, right? Nairobi's a, a, a developed city, you know, and, and of course they all have cell phones. So they, 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 they've got places where they go to plug their cell phone in to charge it. Cause there's no electricity where they live. They, they know exactly which Hills to climb to get phone signals, to check all their messages. <laughs> yeah. So they're being pulled into, they're being pulled into the Western. How, how were they, how were they though? Like from a people from like a, did they the seem like they were happy or sad or, you know, of course they were happy. This is, this is what they know. <laughs> just got a, you, you still got me there up the, uh, the yeah. interweb just, yeah. So, so, okay. So uh, that's, that's great. Cause I've shared this, this stuff about Western A price on a, a few other episodes of the podcast. You're the first, one of the few people that I've been able to verify about the, the Maasai Warriors, because they're an inspiring lot and they're all in great nick. Well, they were all in great nick uh, and were for a very long time. Rob, uh, there's so much more that we could talk about. I suspect we might need to get you on for a follow-up interview, but for people that are curious to know more about you, how do people find you? Well, I, obviously my website, addvalue2life.com, so addvalue to life. Com. Um, LinkedIn's a great place to find me. You know, I'm just Robert C. Peterson, and it's pretty obvious the bald guy. Would, but uh, um, <laughs> there's a few of us out there. Yeah. We're beautiful, though. I mean, seriously. <laughs> Solar panel for a sex machine, they call it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I like it. You know, I've. I've uh, and you got your book, which yeah, you can get so- on Amazon. Entrepreneur mindset shift you can get on Amazon and uh, leave a five star review because uh, but that helps a lot. We're you know Labor and I are both out there trying to collect reviews. <laughs> so well, re- review review what you think it is, but you'll give it a five star because it's a great book. And uh, I mean, give it a one star if you like. I, I saw uh, I, I love reading one star reviews. Like, wh- what kind of person do you need to be to to <laughs> To leave a, a, a comment and a one-star review, right? It's very, very funny. Yeah. Well, and and I mean, the truth be told, if you can't leave a five-star review, let's have a conversation because I want to make the book better. And if you have advice for me to, to make my book better, then absolutely, let's have a conversation. But otherwise, I think it's a five-star book. It has that kind of influence, that kind of impact, and and I put a lot of heart and effort into it. And so you can attack it if you choose to, but let's, I'd like, I'd rather have a conversation <laughs> if you have ways to improve it. 
I don't think anyone that's got this far through the podcast is going to leave a, <laughs> a horrible <laughs> review, Rob. <laughs> Rob, do you, do you have any concluding thoughts for our audience today? Man, I, you know, obviously we went all over the place, you and I, <laughs> which maybe, maybe we need, we need to have an outline. Um, you know, I, I just think smile more, love more and think more for yourself, which you and I both know very few people, everybody thinks they're thinking, but they're not really thinking. So we want to get more people thinking and empowering themselves happens by taking responsibility. Ladies and gentlemen, Robert C. Peterson. I got superpowers, superpowers, working seven days a week and 24 hours. Yup, I got the business saying this boy sure is up to something. Why don't you come and listen? Just don't hit the power button. They say I'm crazy when I say I got the superpowers. It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available and not only just bring them on but to develop relationships with them that build into know like and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire you'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience go to podcastingheroes.com it's p-o-d-c-a-s-t-i-n-g-h-e-r-o-e-s.com